welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. You'll take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you want to grab one of the Bibles in front of you there, it uh, is page number 1029. You can also go to the U version of the Bible, and if you go down to the right-hand corner there, in the bottom right-hand corner, and click on the More section there, and then go to Events, type in Upper Perk, or this area should pop up, and that also has the outline of the passage for today's message. Matthew chapter number 5. We're in the course of going through the book of Matthew, and what's important to understand about Matthew is each of the authors of the four Gospels had different focuses in what they did. In Matthew, his focus is on the kingdom of God, and he spends every part of that you're going to see is wrapped up into helping us to understand and be aware of what the kingdom of God is really all about. Last week, Josh preached to us, and he took us through the Beatitudes. We could obviously spend multiple weeks on each one, but there really is the foundation as we start to lead into these very practical ways in which the kingdom of God is played out in our day-to-day lives. And if you think about the way he targeted and encouraged the different people that he he spoke to on that day, it's really eye-opening when you think about it all. When you look at those verses, if you want to go up with verse number uh, three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. And lastly, verse number 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, each and every one of those represented so many different people that he spoke to in that crowd there for them to understand and, and, the, and if you even read those off, maybe one of those strikes into your heart. We think, man, that's kind of where I'm at. And he wanted them to know that this message, that these promises, that the sustaining power was for whatever stage, whatever place of life, whatever challenges you have, that God's message through Christ on that, on, on that special time throughout this book as Matthew notes it, is to understand better what the kingdom of God really functions like and the part that we play in that is his children. Now it's interesting to note that as he wraps up the Beatitudes, he ends with the fact of persecution. Now persecution is something that we don't think a lot about as we live here in America. You may deal with a situation like was shared with uh, Tara where we get some ridicule that takes place. I've been in situations throughout my life where I know I gave a track to somebody and they tore it up in front of me and laughed. I've had doors closed in my face as, as I've gone and, and done some uh, door-to-door work in the past in my college years. And you have those situations that come, but true persecution is something that we probably feel is probably something we don't feel that we face on a regular basis. But it takes place in many different ways, in many different forms, and we specifically think of this as a good time to remind us of the persecution that takes place throughout the world on those that take a stand for Jesus Christ. Churches being bulldozed down, literally, pretended to to not exist anymore. Pastors in prison, Christian leaders beheaded, people torn from their families, all in a hatred towards those who would name the name of Christ. 
Now, it's very easy when you hear the way that the world treats Christians for us then to think, well, hey, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If they can hate us, then we can hate them. If they have an issue with us, then we can have an issue with them. We can have this tit-for-tat type situation that's really easy to get into. And I, as much as anybody, have uh, my, my anger rise up when I hear some of the persecution and the things that take place against my brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. But it's on that note, even as he lays that out, as we get into verse number 13 now, what he really kind of then focuses in on in our responsibility in the way that we are to live out our lives as Christians. We're going to be going over two parts of that. We're going to be going over salt and going over light. Now, as I grew up in my era and in sermons that were preached, these were both very much focused on my need to share the gospel with everybody who needs to hear the gospel, those that don't have a relationship with Christ. And, and that's the bedrock, by the way, of what we're called to do as Christians. Even as Ron Jones preached a few weeks ago, the message of the gospel still has to be spoken. And we need to live in ways where we can interact with people, but ultimately we do need to make sure that that message of the gospel is spoken and not that we just live better lives than other people around us. But as you really evaluate what, what specifically has been spoken here by Matthew with that kingdom mindset, I believe it's a little bit more um, intense than we realize in the way that we live out our lives as Christians in the world in which we exist. And that's who... And that's who Matthew was talking to. Christians and the way that they're to live their life in a world that did not acknowledge and rejected and fought against the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he starts in verse number 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it satis- excuse me, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So he starts by saying we're salt. You and I are salt. Now, if we're the salt of the world, what does that really mean? Now, first of all, we need to get a little bit of an idea of salt because most of us don't think much about salt. You might put it on your french fries. You might kind of put it on your hamburger patties. If you watch some of those cooking shows, they're big on using salt and pepper, you know, basic things. We don't really think of something valuable when we think of salt. You can buy a pack of salt and pepper pretty cheap in any grocery store. You can buy a big container of salt pretty cheap, unlike hand sanitizer right now. <laughs> Maybe we should just rub our hands with salt. Maybe that would work. Uh, I don't know. But salt, it, but in the days that this passage was being written, first of all, salt was incredibly valuable. Do you know that the Roman government at different times would use salt as a currency to pay the troops that they enlisted, as well as the mercenaries that fought for them? They'd literally pay them in ounces of salt because that was the amount of value that salt had. We also lived in an era where they did not have refrigeration. There was no freezers. There was no mini fridges. There was no ice flows. Even as you would kind of read the history of this area, when the ice would get thick, they'd cut these big squares and you could use those to help cool. They had the root cellars that they kept things colder in. Many of those things didn't exist at the same level. They had caves that they did some preservation in, but not at the same level that we kind of understand it. But salt was frequently used, even though it was valuable. This shows you the value of of the the, uh, process of making sure that they had safe food that they used salt predominantly as a preservative. 
And we are called to be a preservative in this world. They would take their meats and they'd pack them in salt and then they either stick them in the ground, they would stick them somewhere else where they would cover it up and then that way that meat would last a lot longer because it was preserved. Now the way they would find out if the salt was any good, if it could actually be used for the preservative, is they'd take a small tap of it and they'd put it on their tongue. And if the salt on their tongue had saltiness to it, tasted salty, they knew that it was still good for a preservative because they would sometimes use the salt more than once because of the value of it. If they put it on their tongue and it didn't have that salty taste that it really should have, then what they did is they took the salt and they literally would take it out to the walking paths and, 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 uh, and places where they traveled and they threw it on there to help kill the weeds. That's really all it was good for after it lost its saltiness, its ability to be a preservative. So Matthew here says, you and I, are called to be salt in this world. We're called to be a preservative in this world. So what does that really look like, though, to be a preservative in this world? Well, the first thing I believe it looks like is that we establish the moral foundation. We establish the moral foundation. Now, if you look at our world, which we are Americans, we live in America, so I can only talk to our country. But when you look at the foundation that America was established on, Go down to Washington, D.C., and you're going to see lots of scripture verses on buildings down there. If you go and look at the documents from our founding fathers, believers and non-believers, they frequently would reference and make foundational principles off of the scriptures that was their guiding document in order to establish laws and the way that they interacted with people. Now, it's very easy for us in our era, and we see this a lot, to look back and only point out the negatives of the founding fathers and mothers that established our nation. It's very easy to scrutinize the past. But if you holistically really look at the documentation and not just listen to some of the news talking heads that are out there, you see that we have a nation that had that preservative of Christian ethics, biblical ethics that were foundational to the nation in which we live. The sanctity of life, the preservation of justice and freedoms that we have. Those were all foundational, and those were all because Christians were a part of that moral foundation. Why? Because we know that we're called to establish that moral foundation. But we're also supposed to stay involved in that moral foundation. We're called to stay involved in it. Now, along the way, what I have seen happen in a lot of respects is because we're afraid that we're either going to be too hard or we're going to be too soft and therefore, we don't do anything at all a lot of times when it comes to making sure that we're involved in the moral foundation. And our nation and other nations will only stay as strong as the moral foundation in which they continue to be built on. And if Christians remove themselves from all of those places, I'm not talking about just politically, that's part of it, but any of the forums that we have in business, commerce, things like that, in community affairs, when we remove ourselves from all that, for a few reasons, we can get so involved in just becoming isolationists. Man, I'm just going to focus my life around the church. Now, if the church is doing its job, then we should be back out there engaging ourselves and making sure that we're staying involved in the moral foundation of our nation, of our community, of our state, of our county. Now, Many of you might say, hey, Pastor John, I would love to be more involved, but what does that really look like? I don't even know what to do. So here's a few thoughts. I didn't put them on the screen, but as I was kind of chewing over some practical things, 
Here's one for you. The first thing I would encourage you to do is be aware. Some of us just don't want to know what's going on out there, so we choose to be blissfully ignorant. Well, where do I find truth? Again, you have to go back to the sources. You can't go to one of the two news sites, so to speak, and that be your only source. Are you willing to go and read documents? Are you willing to go and dig in and find out what's really going on there? Because when we're aware of things, then we can get involved. We're aware of the fact, for instance, as we saw the video, that we have a community that has a challenge with hunger, right? So what are we doing then? Now that we're aware of it, that's a way that our moral foundation of taking care of the least of these the Bible talks about would, should engage us to go, wow, I know there's a need there, but now what am I going to do about the need that's there? That's being aware of that. Awareness should lead to action. You can feel bad for people that need additional food. You might say that's terrible and that's horrible, but are you willing to do anything about it? Now, I understand we can't all do everything, but do the things that God prompts you to do instead of making excuses about why we can't. It's because we make excuses that we as Christians have stepped out of the public forum and no longer have a voice in many of the places that God has intended for us to have a voice. Now, folks, let me share this with you, though. The way that we have a voice doesn't mean that we have to be antagonistic on social media. <laughs> that doesn't win anything. In fact, that does the opposite. It draws lines in the sand unnecessarily. But are you willing to engage in discussions, to have conversations, to ask questions? And as you even find areas that you're not as confident in, then you go back and do the research to know truth so that you can help engage with those in the world that need to hear truth, which is my second reminder. We need to speak truth. Now, we speak truth, but you do it in love. You do it with conscientiousness. You don't do it, I, I'm sickened as we enter another political season, that nobody can just tell us what they believe in, they have to attack everybody else. Folks, what we need to understand as Christians is we shouldn't grab onto that as well. When we get cornered sometimes, rather than admit, hey, you know, that's a great question I have an answer for, we attack people. That's not speaking truth. We need to be able to speak truth that's based on the scriptures because those are the things that are going to then again, again reinforce that foundation, that moral foundation in which we're called to stand and uphold. Speak truth. And then the third thing that I laid out here is pray often. Do you pray for your leadership in your country? Leadership in your church? Leadership at work? Leadership in your community? Leadership in your family? I believe that too often as Christians, we have minimized prayer. Well, I don't see these immediate results. One of the dangers of living in a fast food society, right? I can go out on Amazon and in two clicks I can get whatever I want. So prayer, oh, that takes time. Do you know how many people that would mean? Well, how about if we engage in what the Bible tells us to do then rather excuse the reason we can't because of our schedules? See, I think we're unwilling sometimes to readjust our schedules because our schedules dictate us rather than the principles of God's word many times. And we have to be willing to readjust our life to what scripture says. And one of those things scripture tells us to do is pray. Now, you figure out the way that works for you. I do, do not do well praying silently. My mind wanders aimlessly, quickly. I've said this before. You know, I'll be reading Psalm chapter one. And he shall be like a tree planted tree. Oh man, I remember this one tree behind my grandparents' house 
And we used to climb in that tree. Oh, and that, I met Chuck there. He was a great friend. Oh, remember, we would go down to the creek, and I'm in chapter four of Psalms, reading-wise, but mentally, I checked out in verse number three. I'm the same with prayer. I'll drive down the road, and I pray out loud. I mean, people can sing out loud, right? Why can't I pray out loud? That helps me as I focus. Otherwise, again, I'll be driving and praying, and I'll see other things, and I'm easily distracted by that. I come up here and wander around the auditorium sometimes and pray. In my office, I'll walk around. I'm sure certain people, if they saw me, would think I'm a lunatic, but people might think that anyway. So, But whatever works for you, but don't make excuses why you can't figure out how you can pray. Well, I don't know who my leaders are. We have this amazing thing called Google that you can find anything that you want to. Pray often. Be aware Speak truth, pray often, or always we can stay involved in the moral foundation. Again, here in Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 13, you are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. One other thing I think that's important is that we protect the moral foundation. We're called to protect it. If we don't take a stand for the things God tells us to take a stand on, then we are in sin. Now again, we can do that boldly and lovingly. We don't have to do it hatefully and spitefully. But we can do it firmly and protect the moral foundation. Being spiteful or being silent are not the only two choices that we have. Well, if, if I can't speak my mind, then I just guess I can't say anything. Where did we get that that's the only way we can communicate? I think we've forgotten the art of discourse. Talking and receiving, processing, discussing, researching to make sure that we can draw our results from the scriptures as believers and be able to point other people to the scriptures as our source of truth and of life. We're called to protect the moral foundation of our nation. Then we see him not only talk about salt, that preservation, but we go into verse 14 through 16. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth, verse 13. You're the light of the world, verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in that house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You are the light of the world. Now, we're not only called to be salt, a preservative, we're also called to be a beacon of light. God wants us to stand out in a good way, not in a, hey everybody, I'm John Buckley and let me tell you how wonderful I am. Now, that's not what he's talking about at all. We are reflecting what God is doing and has done in us to the world around us that they can see his truth shine through us, his attitude shine through us, his actions shine through us, we become a magnifier of that light. That's why he says, a light set on a hill. When it's up there, it's supposed to be a beacon. People go, hey, that hill, why was that important? Why did he state that? Because in Bible times, you had walled cities. If you were called a city, it was because you had walls. It was so you could defend your people from any outside attackers. Most people did not live in cities. Most people lived in villages and farms around the city. But when the warning was called that the enemy was coming, everybody went to the city. They looked for that beacon of light because it was protection, safety, 
Oversight, love, and care motivated those things. As the city gates opened and they welcomed in their people, wanting to protect them because they cared about them and they could defend them. You and I are called to be a beacon in this world. And we're meant to be seen by others. You see, it says in verse number uh, 14, or excuse me, 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, it would be useless for me to stand up here today and light a candle right now. First of all, you'd see that light and not the candle probably at all. But secondly, there's so much light, it would just become part of what the light is all around us. But if we were here at night and we turned out all the lights, shut all the shades, closed off any outside light that we possibly could, and then I lit a candle, it would be very apparent the difference that candle would make. Anybody here that would use their brain would say, if I have to leave here, then I want to have somebody follow, use that candle so I don't trip over a chair or a person to be able to get out the door to go to the restroom or anything else. That light makes a difference. You wouldn't put it under a bushel. You want people to be able to see it. And, and again, Bible times, they would put it on this lampstand so that they got maximum light. Frequently, they had bronze or metal around it that would reflect that light so they could get the maximum amount of seeing power to be able to be aware of what was around them. We are meant to be seen by others as believers. The way we live our life should not be hidden under a bushel. The ethics you have in your workplace, the testimony that you have for Jesus Christ, the impact of where you're at should be magnified, not only because people know you're Christians, because I hear that a lot. Well, everybody at work knows I'm a Christian. Well, how do they know that? Well, because I go to church. Okay. Do you know there's lots of people who go to church that are not Christians? Well, they know I'm a Christian. Why? Well, because my parents were Christians. Because I've told them I'm a Christian. Here's the big question. Have you lived out your Christianity? When you lose your temper at work, what does that look like? And how do you make it right after you've done that? Do you have the highest integrity on your job? Do you work the hardest of anybody at your job? Do you have the best attitude towards others at your job? See, those are things that exemplify the character qualities that are laid out in Scripture about ways that we can be light to those that are around us, that that's magnified, that we stand out, that we ooze with love and truth in all that we do, that we take responsibility when we sin, that we are a people of integrity, that we show care to those who are around us. Those are all ways that we're going to be seen by others. Our lives, our lives should radiate his love and his values. So what you watch on TV should radiate his love and his values. How you interact with your neighbors should do that. What you look at on your phone should do that. The way that you live out your life is gonna be seen by others and we should not be ashamed of it and we should make sure it's filtered all through his word and his values. We are meant to make a difference. When we live out our values, his values, his way, we will make a difference in those around us. I remember this one guy at work. I worked, uh, for a summer, I worked at a place that was an explosives factory. 
was really funny. Halfway through the summer, by the halfway through the summer, I realized that my shoes that were supposed to be static resistant were not static resistant because the machine that checked them was not working right. That's always kind of a scary thing because I was took I took these fuses and I stuck them into these blasting caps and I crimped them together and then we get a few of them we'd send them down the line. So and they already put you in this box where you only can reach out and grab them off the the uh, conveyor belt, which is always feeling a little safe already. So if I blow up, I do little damage. Is kind of what you feel like in the situation. So I'm working that. It was conveyor belt stuff, which isn't hard to do, uh, although it's amazing what people will fight over when it comes to making money. Uh, but I was doing that. And I remember, that, you know, we're working that third shift. I was doing an internship in Connecticut at a church during the days, and then I did that third shift. That was when I was young and could handle with no, living with no sleep. And, you know, I was going through that, and I remember I was, my, my goal was I wanted to be a living testimony for Christ, and there's this one guy named Angel of all things. His name was Angel, and he was the least angel-like of anybody I ever met. He would always be behind my back saying things about me. He was criticizing me. Oh, you want to be a, because it was, by the way, Connecticut's very Catholic. So everybody, when they heard I was going into ministry, assumed I was going to become a priest. So I was called Father John a lot, which is really funny. <clears throat> So, you know, he would go, yeah, well, Father John, he'd say to everybody, he'd put, you know, pictures up on the bulletin board, you know, ridiculing me and all that. And I'll never forget, it was like two weeks before I was going to be done that summer. And I was in the car waiting for my girlfriend, who is now my wife. She lived, uh, was out there working as well, well, living with another family in the church. And uh, I was waiting for her to come out. And this guy, Angel, comes out to his car, and I was like, oh, here he comes. He drove this Camaro. He was just kind of like, hey, I'm the man. You know, women love me. The world should bow down before me type of a guy. And he comes out, and I figured he was going to make some comment, and he looks around, and I thought, oh, man, he must be a really harsh one because he's making sure nobody's paying attention. And he comes over to me. He goes, hey, you believe in God, so I need you to pray for my grandma. She's really sick. I was like, whoa. I didn't even know what to say to him. I was like, uh, uh. Um, and he walked away, and he got in his car, and he drove off. Now, I would love to tell you I had this amazing opportunity to share the rest of the gospel with him. I didn't. But living a way where I shared the gospel, and I lived the gospel over the course of a summer in a very non-Christian environment, God used that to take one of these antagonists, as Tara mentioned, and I was able to have him recognize that God was real in my life, and he wanted me to be praying for his grandma because whatever he believed in, he didn't have confidence it was gonna work. Now, folks, you're gonna make a difference. Let me just share this with you, though. You oftentimes will not know it. You're not gonna have people knock on your door often and go, John, thank you for living for Christ. John, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. John, thank you for being an example. That's not gonna happen that often. But you know what? If you live a life of obedience, and you die at the end of your life, and you come face to face with Christ, what I want to hear more than anything else is well done, good and faithful servant. See, if we keep that in front of us, folks, it's not for man's praise. It's not so we can feel good about ourselves. It's not that we can stay out of trouble. It's not so we can be justified because my voice was heard. It's so that I can exemplify by being a preservative and a beacon who Jesus Christ is to make a difference in the world in which he placed us. He put you here. He put you in your family. He put you in your neighborhood. He put you in your workplace. He put you in this church. You're here for a specific purpose and a reason. So embrace it and be salt and light for him. 
I want to look at that very last verse as we wrap up. Verse number 16. The Bible says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. And what happens? And give glory to your Father who's in heaven. It doesn't say, and give glory to you. And finally you're able to say, hey, I I made a difference. I won one. No, if we're doing this right, people are going to go, not, man, what a great guy that is. Not what a great girl that is. Man, what a great God they serve. What a powerful God that they allow to work in their lives. Because, folks, we are broken. We are wounded. We are sinful. And the God of this universe takes broken and wounded and sinful people and does amazing works of grace and does amazing works of magnifying who he is through us so that other people go, that knucklehead couldn't do it on his own, but man, he must have a great God. That you and I might do good works and they might see them and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are meant to bring glory to God. Let's stop being so focused on making sure that everybody else thinks well of us and let's be obedient to what God asks us and calls us to do. Because folks, if the world turns on you, it is not easy. If nobody knows exactly what's going on in your head and in your life, because nobody does, they don't know your struggles and your battles like anybody else does, but I can say this, God does. And he's enough. And he can take the most broken relationships. He can take the most wounded people. He can take the most dysfunctional families. And he can be honored and glorified in them as we day by day allow his word, allow his body to come around, and allow our focus through the spirit of God to be able to to be directed to him. He will get the honor and the glory. Couple questions I'd like you to consider as we wrap up. How are you helping to establish, to be involved in, and to protect the moral foundation of our community, of our county, of our state, of our nation, of our world? Pastor John, I don't know what to do. Then would you join me in praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do? Is it taking once a month and delivering meals on Meals on Wheels to a shut in? Is it bringing some canned goods in? Is it setting up a Bible study in your work environment? Is it sending out notes of encouragement to people? Is it getting plugged in 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 an organization within our town, our city, our state? I don't know, but I'm telling you, if you pray, God's gonna give you opportunities to be able to establish, be involved in, and protect the moral foundation of the nation, the world in which we live. My second question is, what's preventing you from being salt or light? Are you being a preservative? If not, what is that? I just can't seem to control my tongue, Pastor John, and man, so I go out on social media and I say this or I talk this way to my spouse or I do this or I do that, and man, what do I do? You go and you take responsibility for it. You say you were wrong in what you present and the way you presented it, maybe not what you presented, and then you let God's redeeming work go to it through us. Whatever is preventing you from being salt or being light, I encourage you again to pray. God will reveal it. 
Folks, we can make way too many things idols in our life that prevent us from doing what God wants us to do. If there's anything in your life that's stopping you from getting in the word, that's stopping you from serving, that's stopping you from doing that, even if it's good stuff, it can become an idol in your life because it's preventing you from doing the best stuff that God intended you to do. What's your idols? Well, they're preventing you from being salt and light. And lastly, where can you be a light this week? Specifically a gospel light. You brush shoulders with more non-believers than you realize. So what can you do to share the gospel with them? What can you do to be able to make sure that they understand what the gospel is, not just that you go to church? You are all, and I are called to be light, so how are we gonna do that this week? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, there's just a few verses here, and yet how powerful, Lord, as we consider the role of being a preservative and a beacon that you called us to be. I pray, Lord, that you would use this message, Lord, to penetrate our hearts, that, Father, we would understand the power of the gospel, how it not only changes us but can be used in and through us to make a difference in the world we live, not because we choose to but because you command us to, God. So please, Lord, be used, uh, use us, Lord, and, and be active in our lives to be able to be salt and light the way you've called us to. We ask in your precious name, amen.